This upcoming roundtable on multilingualism in an international school setting uh, will focus on a number of key areas within language, literacy, and foreign language acquisition in an international school environment. We'll be discussing the importance of language learning at school, strategies for effective language acquisition, the transferable skills that it gives students that are applicable to all other subjects, and the importance of representation and bringing in the local culture into the language classroom in an international school environment. The discussion will focus on actionable, practical strategies and initiatives that the listener can think about implementing into their own classroom. So I'm absolutely delighted uh, to be joined by our guests today. Um, and if we can go through maybe a quick introduction of, of each of you, that would be fantastic. Um, Sarah, you're at the top of the top of the screen for me. So um, yeah, would you mind uh, just introducing yeah, yourself? Yeah, I can first? start. Yeah. Uh, so I'm uh, Sarah Forbes. I'm the uh, product manager at DK Learning, um, specifically responsible for English for Everyone, which is our ELT course. Um, before I started working in publishing 10 years ago, I was um, an ELT teacher at many private language schools around the world, uh, specifically in Europe and Asia. Fantastic. Thanks, Sarah. Um, Adam, you're just below Sarah on my list here. So yeah, do you want to, do you want to go next? Great. Thanks, Max. My name is Adam Beeson. I'm based in Costa Rica at Pan American School. Pan American School is an IB continuum school. It was the first IB continuum school in the country. Uh, I teach English language and literature in the diploma program and in the middle years program. I've also taught language acquisition in the middle years program. And then I'm also the coordinator of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging across the whole school. Excellent. Thanks, Adam. Uh, Jacob, you're, you're next on my screen. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Jacob, and I'm based at, in Suzhou in China, where I've been for around 10 years. And I'm currently head of multilingual learning at, at the school here. And I am also teach English language acquisition, including in the IB diploma program. Brilliant. Francois, what about yourself? Hello everyone, uh, my name is Francois Stalder and I am based in Budapest at the American International School of Budapest. I've been here for, this is my fifth year, and I teach, uh, I'm a world language teacher, I teach French, Spanish and German in all sections of the schools actually, in, in the elementary, middle and high school. And uh, I just want to point out that before I came to AISB, I was in Bangalore where Himani is from. So this is very interesting. Excellent. And uh, Himani, what about yourself? Hello, uh, my name is Himani and I was born and raised in Bangalore, currently based in Budapest and working as an MYP Individuals and Societies teacher, as well as a DP Environmental Systems and Societies teacher, lots of systems, um, at the Budapest British International School. Wonderful. Thank you all. Um, delighted to be joined by all you guys. Um, right. So moving straight into my first question for, for us to discuss. Um, why is the topic of multilingualism um, so important in an international school setting? Um, so quite a broad, broad question to start with. Who'd like to who'd like to, to dive in and tackle that first? Uh, I, I don't mind going first. Go for it, Francois. <laughs> right. 
because uh, you know uh, multilingualism in international schools is almost redundant, right? All international schools believe that that multilingualism is very important. Um, otherwise, there wouldn't be an international school, right? The, the concept of uh, multilingualism and, and multicultural education it, it lies within international education, and so we, we we can't really have internationalism without having multiple languages spoken and taught in our schools. Uh, so it's, that's very important to me. Uh, now, from a, a, a world language perspective, I think, in my opinion, it's also important to see that, that students are not only proficient in English, but also in their own language, uh, and, but also in the language they acquire from scratch, perhaps, uh, because uh, that shows their ability to adapt to, to new concepts, to new contexts, uh, because those are often students who travel a lot, who move from one school to another. And so the ability to, to adapt to those different contexts is, is super important, in my opinion. And also, thirdly, learning another language from scratch is, and taking it to a good level of proficiency is, is hard. It's hard work. And so it requires hard work and, and perseverance. And, and students who can do that have something above other students, a sort of um, value added. Uh, which uh, later on employers can can easily recognize. So that's why, in my opinion, multilingualism is super important in in our international schools. Anyone else want to dive in? Yeah, Hemana, go for it. Uh, thank you. I can add on just to say that language is a you know it's a vehicle, it's a carrier of culture as well. Um, so to be proficient in one's own native language, for example, is to understand how your way of knowing has shaped your perspective of the world, right? And how that changes across different languages, how they literally shape the way we think. And as Francois said, even you know, acquainting yourself with the language of a country you're going to live with for a year is a valuable lesson because it's giving you some kind of insight behind the behaviors and um, traditions of the culture you're surrounded by. So I think it's also fostering like, you know, an ethos of pluralism and respect. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing about respect, actually. I think it's like knowing that there's space for you in the school, you know, by respecting different home languages, but also respecting maybe the, play, the, the local language as well of the school that you're you're in, which might not be your own. So you're really making that that effort to, as you say, understand the culture and, and kind of integrate in that way, because I think we can all agree, can't we, that kind of having cultural insights just helps understanding, doesn't it? It makes, you know, that kind of mutual respect kind of grow between students and peers as well within the classroom setting, um, making it much easier for the teacher <laughs> as well. Yeah. 100%. Jacob, Adam, what about, what about yourself? What are your thoughts? I think that it, like, I totally agree that multilingualism should be central to, to these things we talk about when we talk about the aims of international education, be that intercultural understanding, international mindedness, global citizenship. We can't do those things in a meaningful way if we don't also engage with, with multilingualism, languages and culture. Um, but I would just to add a little bit of a critical perspective, I think that many international schools, they haven't, they, they don't have systems set up to properly leverage this resource of the linguistic diversity within the school communities. So I think it's, it's definitely true 
that it's a fact that our schools are linguistically and culturally diverse, but what are the schools doing to, to leverage that to ensure there's equity within these diverse um, ecosystems of our schools? So I like um, in, in the IB documentation, you see this, this idea that multilingualism is a fact, a right and a resource. And I think we can, you know, the, for the first one is obvious that our communities are, are linguistically and culturally diverse. But we also need to consider this as a resource for learning and how are we, how are teachers and how are our systems and curriculum tapping into that resource and leveraging that resource in an equitable way. Uh, and also in terms of equity and as well and um, justice, etc. we're thinking about it, the right to being multilingual and, you know, UNESCO, Unite, the Convention on, on the Rights of the Child, saying that every child has the right to maintain and develop their home language, the language and culture of their, their family, their, their background, as well as the language of the school, as well as the language of the place where they are currently living. So once we consider it through the lens of rights and resources, as well as it being a fact, then I think that really emphasizes the importance of, of multilingualism and engaging deeply with multilingualism in our school communities. Excellent point. Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks, Jake, for, for saying that. I, I would just build on that a little bit. I'm fascinated by the history of international schools and international education. And, and while multilingualism is one of these key defining characteristics that make international schools unique, I think we've seen uh, also a long history of the same international schools having policies and practices that are essentially enforcing uh, linguistic imperialism. If you're multilingual, we welcome you. All right, so I was saying that the, the, the practices, the policies were, were built around this, this idea of, of linguistic imperialism with, with English-only signs in the hallway, with um, social hierarchies built around English language skills, um, with home language kind of not encouraged, right? We're luckily, luckily we're, we're at a time where that's shifting, where it's, you know, it's more um, at least common policy that home language is, is encouraged, translanguaging is encouraged. But I think there is this, this lag behind policy and practice, and we still have this sort of leftover monolingual mindset in our international schools. And I think that's why multilingualism as a concept is so important because so many educators and schools are on this journey of, of shifting away from that, that history. And I think that's why this panel is important to come away with practical tips of how we can encourage and embrace multilingualism in international schools. Just jump, jump back in there quickly to, to kind of add, um, you just second that really, like the, what do we mean by multilingualism when we ask that question of, you know, what is, why is multilingualism important? Because there's, there has been, you know, within international schooling in, historically, as Adam's saying, there's been this emphasis on um, improving people, giving them um, snatches of little bits of languages, you know, um, learning new languages, um, which is all really important. But then the home language um, development and maintenance has been um, forgotten and neglected, as Adam's saying. So let's broaden our understanding of multilingualism. Let's take, if we take that multilingual turn, it has wide implications for international schools and all areas of international schooling.
I agree with what Jacob is saying. It's a, it's an awareness uh, process. Um, it's not just about learning another language. It's about also, I think Himani said, you know, being sensitive or, or respectful to the local culture and to other cultures. It's an awareness process. It's uh, multilingualism is uh, something that we have in our schools to make our students more sensitive to other people and their background. And so it is another reason really why it is so important. And we need to really highlight this fact. So it really does go a long way to sort of help students build those other sort of human skills, right? It's uh, it's a much bigger, much bigger thing than just learning a language and being able to communicate in another language. Um, it's there's there's many more facets to it, right? Yeah. Fantastic. Any any other thoughts on that before we move on to to the next the next question from anyone? Okay, great. All right, fantastic. So, sort of considering now, you know, looking at language learning, um, a little bit more depth now. Uh, sort of learning languages at an early age. Um, you know, how can how can learning another language um, help across potentially other other subjects in the curriculum? And I know we touched on a couple of things in that last point, um, but it'd be great to hear your your guys' thoughts on yeah, how what are these transferable skills that learning a language at a young age can can help across all different subjects in the curriculum? I'll go first because I've probably got a bit less to say than the people currently teaching but I think I always thought it really solved really helped with kind of those transferable skills of like problem solving critical thinking um kind of as well when we, sometimes in ELT as well we do like mediation of text so a text in in their another language and they were trying to convey the meaning to somebody um in English um but it's not about translation it's kind of that that kind of cultural meaning and things like that as well. So I think, and that I think is going to be is so useful for when you're in the real world as an adult as well, and, and those kind of skills that can really carry you very far. Um, I think just things with memory concentration, I think it's all quite proven, isn't it? That being kind of speaking kind of several languages help helps with these skills. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Mani, what about yourself? Yeah, I think um, just coming back to Adam's point, connecting back to Adam's point about linguistic imperialism, there is this sense of you take for granted this fact that, okay, our students are bilingual, but are you actually actively working on developing that bilingualism? How authentic is that bilingualism? What I noticed with many of my students in India was that when they spoke in their home languages, the tone shifted they spoke mostly at the level of a fifth grader. They could speak mostly informally. Tone was mainly sort of the kind of tone they'd use with their domestic help. And I was like, hold on. You do not know how to actually act, engage in academic discourse in your native language. And that's important because if we want to, I mean, say, look at the bulk of um, literature and academia today, it's in Western European languages. If we want to widen that base, we need to ensure that our students are proficient in their home languages, because if they go on to specialize in other disciplines, they can contribute to that field um, further. So 
yeah, I think it's important to recognize that bilingualism isn't just, oh, I can speak two languages, but actually to what extent can you speak those two languages and how are schools fostering that? So actually being able to learn this academic jargon, you know, actually learning subject specific terminology in their home languages would be very valuable and to see if there is even an equivalent um, within their language and then to question why if there isn't. Yeah. And Himara, just to a quick question on that. So what was the reason you think that um, you mentioned the students um, when you were teaching in India um, struggled to, to sort of communicate in their home language? Why was that? It was because English was such a dominant language outside of the classroom as well or how, why was that? Yeah, I think with the case in India, it's uh, it's difficult because we don't have like English is our unifying language. It isn't even Hindi. So, yes, students talk in English a lot more, but also it's something parents push as in, you know, in international schools as well. The second language option isn't ever, oh, Canada, Telugu. It's always French, German, Spanish, <laughs> languages of the corporate world, essentially. Right. Um, so you see the sense of like, mm, I don't want to talk in my native language. And the only time you're talking in your native language is when you're talking to domestic help or people who really cannot be speak, cannot speak Hindi. I mean, English. You talk with your parents, with your family in English as well. Yeah. Great. Any, any other thoughts on, um, on why language learning is so important at an early age and those transferable skills? To, to pick up on Himani's point that the, the more the more language you know, the more you can do in your different languages, the better you'll be able to learn in the various subjects that you're studying. So that's the the vital importance of developing the students like complete linguistic repertoire, expanding that repertoire and, and you know, um, ensuring that we are in transferring the, the the language skills between the languages as well, so that where students are able to form arguments and, and write academic texts in their various languages. And also, I think it's about the responsibility of, of all teachers for language development, um, not just the, the language teachers. And we often hear the, the catchphrase that, you know, every teacher is also a teacher of English or also a teacher of language. And like most catchphrases, I think that's overly simplistic. I would rather say something like language is fundamental to, to making meaning, language is fundamental to learning. Therefore, you can't be a science teacher without also teaching the way that scientists use language. Um, so it's kind of fundamental to the teaching of the subjects. It's not an optional thing that subject teachers can just do if they have a bit of time. Um, you know, teach them a little bit of English as well as the science. What we're, what we're doing when we're teaching a subject is teaching the, the disciplinary literacy of that subject. So I think reframing it in that way helps to see why, you know, language learning is, is fundamental to all learning. Yeah, if I, if I can add on to what has already been said about the value of uh, the, the, that students attached to language their language, like Imani said about uh, their native language. In, in, in some cases, students and people don't attach as, as much value to their native language as they should, because every language has value, as much value as another language, whether they are dominant languages or not. And uh, as, as you see that in India with the local languages, you would also see that 
in, for example, uh, Spanish in, in the US where people migrate and they want to learn the dominant language English and they, they, their, their parents would tell them, no, don't, don't speak Spanish because uh, we want you to be able to communicate in the dominant language, which is English and the language of the country we come from, we are migrants and we should not speak that language in front of others. And that's wrong. And that, of course, comes with the background of the, the, the student, the person, the, the family, where they come from. Uh, and, and it's sad that, uh, that some people think that their language has less value than another dominant language. And, and so we need to teach our students that uh, language, including their own language, is super very important um, and uh, not just the dominant language. Now, the, the first part of your question, uh, Max, was uh, about the importance of teaching languages at an early age. And uh, in my school, we, we're just about to introduce the teaching of languages that we've got three foreign languages. So I'm a world language teacher. So we've got French, German and Spanish, and we're going to introduce those languages er earlier. So far, we start in grade four. We're going to go down from next year onwards to lower grades. And, uh, and as well as um, uh, Hungarian is another language that we want to teach because it's the local language. Against the, impo the importance of, of teaching the local language is very important. And, and that, that made me think of uh, in, uh, just an anecdote here. Um, when I, I was in Asia, I, I met someone who's from Penang. Um, he was the principal of a school and he was a, an avid, a keen linguist. And uh, he would ask his, uh, his CAS students, CAS uh, creativity activity and, and uh, social, I think uh, it's an IB program. Uh, he would ask his CAS students to engage in a project where the students had to teach their native language to young learners, very young learners. And the idea is that was that he recognized that those who uh, those are the years when students are young, when they're young, those are the years when students uh, form their language and develop their ability to learn other languages, including the sounds. Uh, there are sounds that as adults we can't pronounce that young children can pronounce. And so uh, it, the more languages we can teach at an early age, the better it is for the students because they will be able to utter those sounds later on in life uh, because they would be used to them. So uh, starting multiple languages at an early age really trains the brain uh, and, and those organs within the mouth to, to develop those skills that uh, will shape them uh, for future learning. I uh, just wanted to say that. I'll just very, very quickly, I agree with, with everything that's been said. I'll just talk from a very practical you know, standpoint. In an inquiry-based model like the IB, I work with secondary students, um, being multilingual opens up this world of opportunities. The nature of, of how schools, international schools around the world collaborate is changing. I think part of that is being facilitated by the networks being formed between international teachers. But if a student wants to collaborate with a peer on the other side of the world and do that in a language that is not the, the dominant language of the classroom, it's possible. And so just a couple examples last year in our DP visual arts um, exhibition, we had a student who spoke German, reached out to uh, a school in Germany 
was studying the Bauhaus movement and, and architecture as a way to sort of facilitate the visual arts um, exhibition that he was putting together and was able to look at these primary sources in German and speak in German to kind of the experts who could help him facilitate his project in Costa Rica. Um, so those sorts of simple collaborative opportunities, um, again, it opens up a whole lot of possibilities. I think it also connects with you know, the, the ultimate um, mission of international schools of being part of a, a larger global community, right? Having the, the skills to, to reach across to, to, other, to other people living elsewhere enhances and contributes to that idea of intercultural understanding and respect. Absolutely, yeah. Some fascinating points made there. Um, and as you said, Adam, it, this is a sort of a bigger question, isn't it, about the identity of, of international schools um, in general, right? It's, and, and the importance of including all languages is, is fundamental to, to a truly international education. Yeah. And so now, now sort of um, moving more on to sort of practical tips um, and strategies, um, you know, what each, you know, it'd be great to hear your thoughts on, on what current best practice looks like for, for te when teaching multilingual or, or EAL learners. Um, and maybe touching, we can have a look at some, maybe some of the, the, the less good practices or worst practices that you've come across as well. Um, but maybe you start starting with best practice um, that, that each of you have maybe tried, implemented in your, in your own classroom and found that it worked. Um, yeah, some of those strategies would be great to go into. Um, this is a short strat. I mean, this is a sort of something you can use as a lesson primer. It's something I came up with spontaneously and it was a happy outcome. But basically, if there's a term, like, for example, we use culture. So I came into class, we were, it was a unit on cultural diversity. So I said to students, okay, you have five minutes go around the class and collect as many different words for culture in as many different languages as you can. So I think we collected about nine. So it highlighted the fact that, you know, in a group of 15, we had nine different words for culture. And then we spoke a little bit about the roots of those words. Some of these languages had very literal translations for culture. Um, so I remember, for example, this is just off the top of my head, uh, for Hindi, it's Sanskriti, which means like, culture is sort of synonymous with language, Sanskrit. Um, with another language, culture literally translated into something like land of arts or something like that. So then that allowed us to piece together this understanding of like, okay, this is what culture is made up of. And this is how our many languages, at least the ones that we have here, perceive culture. So it was a fun primer and I've used it for other words as well. Uh, but it's just a way to get students to think about, again, that question of how is my language shaped by, you know, uh, my culture, essentially, and how is that in turn influencing my worldview? Yeah. Fantastic. Love that. Any, anyone else want to, to go next? I can go. Yeah. That's fine. So, so thank you. Uh, I, uh, so we're talking about you know uh, practical tips and to support multilinguals EL learners, and uh, and so um, I actually recently wrote a little bit about this uh, for SN about how to support language learners, new students when they arrive in my class. So I teach world languages and so how to support them 
um, especially when they, they are new uh, to the school or new to the class. And, and so uh, often uh, those students are EEL students, English as an additional language learners. And uh, so the first thing to me is attitude, the, the, the teacher's attitude is super important, making the students feel welcome, telling them that this is a space where they are safe and comfortable and they, they, they are supported. I think this is really, really important. I think that's the first point for me. Uh, the students who are in EL are mainly placed there because they need to increase their level of English uh, and to have access to the curriculum. And so there could be sometimes elements of anxiety that we need to take into consideration, that we need to think about. Um, so um, some, of, some of those students can also be the strongest students. So when they come to my language class, they've already gone through the process of acquiring English through this process. And, and, and they come to my French class, for example, my Spanish class, and then they, it's, they, they're used to that process of acquiring another language. And, and some of the students become the strongest students. If they are academically strong, then they would be the strongest students in, in, my, in my class. Now, to be inclusive of those students, what I have, what we do here at my school, at, at the American School in Budapest, we use what we call a TPRS approach, a teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling. So it's the idea of using stories to, uh, to, uh, to, to support language learning. And uh, that puts everyone at the same level. Uh, whatever your language level is, everybody, this approach enables everyone to participate. Uh, they are like mini interactive lessons, sessions that I hold to make my students speak the language that I teach them. So that way, those uh, multilinguals or those EEL students gain confidence by being, they feel included because they see that, no, English is not the, the main language here. It's a, it's a common language that everybody is learning at the same level. And so often, often I don't really understand why we deprive EEL students to access another language. Often those classes take place at the same time. And I, 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 till now, I've taught for more than 20 years. I don't understand why we deprive students. Like, I think it's, it's uh, Jacob who said earlier, now everyone has a right to learning uh, either their own language or another language. And, and I agree, totally agree with that. And then students sometimes are taken out of the world language class to learn English because they need to increase their level. And I feel that's kind of unfair for them. They should be able to access um, the, 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 the other language that their peers are learning. And so these are just some ideas, some techniques that I used. And also, I think the approach, the teacher's approach, and the care that the teacher takes towards those students is super important. Just quick points on that. How, how, can, how can the teachers care? How can that sort of be, be fostered, I suppose, um, and sort of looked after as, I suppose, the more, the more experience the teacher gets, maybe the more responsibilities they have outside the classroom, um, how is that sort of maintained? Because I suppose, yeah, like you said, that attitude is so important, isn't it? If I don't mind, I can answer this question as well. Thank you, Max. That's a very important question because there are so many different ways one can care. And I think first one is to get to know your student first, uh, to get to know their background, their family background, their cultural background, where they come from, where did they travel from, what school did they come from, uh, what is uh, any learning 
um, needs they may have uh, talking to their uh, their homeroom teacher uh, is also important connecting with other subject teachers is another way that you can get to know the students and then also you know speaking to the student just just finding out and you know not becoming friendly but but just getting to know the students in depth so that you really know the background you know what what issues problems that they may be facing especially if they are new students to the school uh, we don't know what baggage students can come from and these are different approaches that i would say would be useful to take to care for students excellent Thanks, Francois. Yeah, just um, to, to add on yeah. to, to that, I think from like from teaching English for eight years, one of the things I used to see a lot was people overly correcting in the classroom as well. Um, when somebody's trying, you know, it could be a logical kind of translation that they're trying to do from their home language into to English, and the teacher was correcting almost, you know, every other sentence that they were saying. And it's knowing as the the teacher, you know whether the focus is on fluency and accuracy in that language learning class, you know, if they're communicating what they want to communicate, then that is fluent. You know, if you're, if there's kind of like a writing assignment where you're practicing some grammar points, then yes, you will mark for accuracy. So I think just being very kind of conscious of that kind of negative washback effect that kind of being overly critical uh, could be, I mean, older students will sometimes say, correct me, correct me, correct me, but it's getting that, um, that balance I think in the classroom and or when you know then to go through errors if you also don't want errors to get fossilized so you can maybe design a lesson or, or something around that later or give some recommended exercises to that student to do you know in their in for homework I don't I think you've got to be very conscious of that and kind of concept checking as well like asking students do you understand I used to see here teachers do this all the time and students will always say yes they don't want to say no I don't understand in front of their, their peers so just making sure that you kind of ask those kind of no questions or questions where there's like a choice between two things or you know a fuller answer just to make sure that they're that you're supporting them and they're not leaving them to it when they don't understand so I think that's a especially in mixed ability classes you get that a lot I think yeah excellent points yeah absolutely yep here money uh, yeah, and also I think communicating, having a relationship with the students wherein you communicate how you are thinking of supporting them and then checking in to see whether they'd like that kind of support. So for example, um, a practice in some of my lessons is if I know there's a learner, um, an EAL learner, I would I'll put subtitles in their native language. I mean, for smaller classes or for a class in which the majority speak another native language. Um, there was this one student who said, don't do it for me because I'd like to actually challenge myself a little. Whereas other students say, actually, yes, I'd like if you put Korean subtitles um, for the second watch of this video because it's enhancing my understanding. So having that communication with the students because I know some students feel embarrassed by this public acknowledgement that they need support. Yeah. It really touches on Francois's points about building that trust with students, right? So they feel comfortable about, about being honest and, and, and sort of coming to you uh, with their suggestions and thoughts too. Um, yeah, excellent point. Um, Jacob, yeah, 
What do you, what are your thoughts? I think, yeah, to, I guess to zoom out a little bit before I zoom back into the practical, I think the, um, when we think about the worst, the best practice, let's, let's start with the worst practice. And like the, I think the worst practice is, is that those that are still rooted in, in like deficit based approaches that see multilingualism as a problem that we need to have interventions for, we need to pull, um, pull kids out and try to fix them somehow um, before they can be part of the school. Um, but so th those are the worst approaches. Then better than that are those kind of asset-based approaches, the techniques that we've been seeing that tap into the students' strengths and see the, the power of multilingualism and see that if we can leverage this, we can achieve um, great things and we can use it as a resource. But then I think we need to take it one step further in terms of best practice and um, not just consider the students as individuals and their, their strengths, which is surely better than seeing just their weaknesses, but then to take it one step further, we need to look through an equity lens and we need to be looking at the systems in which our individual students are, are um, entangled within our schools. Um, and how can we, you know, so when we look at it through that kind of lens, we're looking at what programs are we offering? We're looking at where, how at the staffing, um, how the staffing is working within, like, for example, the EAL provision, um, the, the resources that we have, we're asking those kind of questions. Um, and with the, the approach we've developed in our school, we said that our, our kind of best practice approach is has three three pillars. The first pillar is being a, having a language friendly ethos. So we are part of the this um, network of schools called Language Friendly Schools, and I would encourage anyone watching to to follow that up. It, their website is languagefriendlyschool.org. So we're part of that, and we're building this ethos of being a language friendly school, include language, linguistic, and cultural inclusivity. Um, welcoming all languages, dialects and accents. So that's the first pillar is that whole school ethos of inclusivity. Um, and then the second pillar is individualized, personalized language pathways for students that allow them to develop their whole linguistic um, repertoire. And then the third pillar, the final pillar as we see it, is the shared responsibility of all teachers for the language development of their students. So that requires you know, good professional development to ensure that the, the subject teachers, classroom teachers are equipped to, to um, take on that responsibility in a meaningful way. So language friendly ethos, um, quality individualized language instruction um, in home language, as well as additional language, as well as the, the language of instruction in the school. And then the third pillar of shared responsibility amongst all members of the school community for language development. That's, I think, how we could summarize best practice in a kind of um, framework. Fantastic, Jacob. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Any any other final thoughts on, on the best practice for multilingual EAL learners? Yeah, I'll, ju I'll jump in with, with one idea. Um, I'm sorry, I, I left for a minute there with the, the power outage. But um, one thing that, that comes to mind with best practice for me is, is being aware of the language we as educators and as schools use when we talk about multilingualism and multilingual learners. Thinking about the gap between inclusive language policies and, and the school culture. So st we still hear uh, multilingual learners in their classes being referred to as English pullout or English extra, or we'll adopt the, the terminology of the diploma program of English B and bring it down to a, a primary school level, um, or they're the, the pullout students or the English extra students. 
We set a department goal around this last year, how we can talk about multilingual students in a more um, empowering way. So making for the, sure that we're referring to them um, as they are, which is learners and not sort of adopting this, this uh, language that had been left over from, from again, this monolingual mindset of, of them being um, something, uh, something different, right? ESL students, English, English B students, English pull-up students. So I think that's one practical tip is being conscious and aware of how it is we talk about multilingual learners and the effect that and power that our words can have on the students. Excellent point. Yeah. Anyone want to, to add their thoughts on, on that before we move on to the next question? Maybe one last one. Yeah, Francois, very, yeah. Very, very simple way to show that we care is to uh, run surveys. So run regular surveys and get feedback from students on anything really. It can be on, you know, my teaching practice, or it can be on how they feel about the class, on how they would like to improve the class, on how, what they would like to learn in the class. It can be anything. And, and running, if you do those regularly, it's, they, they don't take time. They, they're quick and easy to make, to build, and to uh, get students to submit. And it's amazing. It's amazing to see the feedback that students give and then modify the teaching practice and my teaching practice based on the feedback that I get from students. It really helps not only improve my own teaching practice, but also their learning experience. So I just want to share that. That's amazing. Francois, just a quick question on that. Um, how, how do you present that to students? Is that a sort of a, a virtual survey on an iPad or is it a written written form? How, how is that presented to your students? Form, like a Google form. It's a link, they click on it, they put in their names, or it can be anonymous. Sometimes they'll be anonymous. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so they just fill in, it takes two minutes at the beginning of class, the end of class, anytime. And again, if you're used to those Google forms or whatever, forms you decide to whatever system you use um, then they, they, they're easy to create uh, sometimes I even create them with my students so we make the form together what would you like to ask the class and they they tell me they put the questions together so that becomes part of the class no prep required for teachers that's good love that very very cool great stuff any other final thoughts before we move on all right, great. So the next question, um, what techniques can teachers use to encourage students to use their first language uh, in the classroom to support their learning? Um, again, a real focus on practical tips um, that, that you guys have used. Who'd like to, who'd like to start with that one? Jacob, go for it. Um, I would uh, go further than encourage. And I think we need to be like designing our, like the, the best way is to design our instruction to enable and require students to do this. So there's a number of, so that can happen on the task level or lesson level or unit level. So for example, within a unit of work, teachers can plan um, activities in which translanguaging and um, using different languages within the classroom is is required as part of the learning and that will really enrich the learning for all students so let's imagine the teachers has a 
a unit on on a Shakespeare play and they're going to look at how the, the kind of decisions about staging and costume might impact on on the audience, then why not view that the same scene in multiple languages, right? We have global Shakespeare websites where you can see see this so we can watch the same um, clip in the languages represented in our, our classroom and yes some of the students may not understand what's being said but they're going to be able to analyze the the decisions made and then the other students will be able to help them understand what how what how the translation was done etc and then they can write a comparative essay comparing how the culture has influenced the the ways in which the different um, language productions were put together so that's an example of how a unit can be designed around translanguaging in, in, an, in an intentional way. And then within uh, that can you know, be done within the on the lesson level as well or within in the actual tasks. So designing routines in which um, so I have a routine, um, for example, we take um, think pair share. This is a common routine used in classrooms, but I've added another stage. So I have think pair prepare share. And I would ask the students first think about their ideas, then they they pair with a partner, a home language buddy to talk about their ideas in the home language. And then in the prepare stage, they use their translations, etc. They use their devices to help them get ready to share that in English, and then they share that in English. So that's a routine that is not just encouraging them, it's saying that this is a time when you're going to use your home language to, to support you in your learning. And another example like that is I, I would often set homework tasks where students need to research something and maybe they need to speak to people to find out information. And then I, what I've started to do now is say, when you're researching this topic, you need to speak to people from at least three or four different languages. And that one can be your home language, one can be English. And then you, so you get the different cultural perspectives into the, the research. And if they can do that using different languages, great. If they can you know, only speak English to some of those people as a shared language, that's fine because you're still bringing the, the cultural, um, different cultural perspectives into the research and that can lead to a more richer um, piece of work. So I, that's what I would say is build, build intentionally build the translanguaging and the use of home language, other cultural perspectives into the, the units, the lessons and the tasks that we're setting. Excellent. Yeah, fantastic. Fr Francois, yes. Yeah. I, I love your answer, Jacob. Thank you. Uh, the idea of tra translanguage and also uh, using input from different languages and different language backgrounds uh, really helps. What I hear is that context is very important. The context uh, of whatever we want the students to know and find out is super is very important. So, so uh, I do the same. Like when, so as I said earlier, I use storytelling, and when I read a story with my students, I always make sure that they they understand the background of the story before we even start talking about it in the other language, um, that they understand it, whether it's in English or their native language. Uh, so um, I want to uh, then ask them questions about the story. So we will do that in English first. Uh, we'll make sure they understand the plot, the relationships between the characters and so on. So uh, we explain some vocabulary as well that may be difficult to, to follow them. Uh, and then they can then, the students can then answer my questions in the target language better. Uh, so I would assume you would do the same thing. It's the same kind of ideas. That, that, that Jacob was just talking about. Um, but another point that I wanted to add is that, you know, using the, the home language or the native language in class and 
how we can support that. Uh, first of all, I think that teachers need to make students understand that the use of the first language in class is acceptable and encouraged. I think that's the first point. And we must be explicit about the time when this is appropriate. I think this is the second point that is very important. Uh, for me, the first criteria for appropriate use of language is inclusion. We want everybody to feel included. So whenever we express ourselves in a group, our manner, uh, our, our words uh, indicate whether we include people, others or not. Uh, so we just have to observe people in social context and, and you can see according to you know, that science in the mannerism, in the words they use, whether they're being inclusive or not. I, I'm sure we've all experienced that. Um, because the purpose of language in education is, is to let us access knowledge and interact to, to improve our understanding of things, concepts. And, it, and if the language is, is limited, that, that's, that, I mean, that's our vocabulary, our ability to use vocabulary effectively, then our understanding can only be limited to. Uh, so we must allow our students to interact in their own language um, and then they can access knowledge at a deeper level and then we, we can also clarify any misunderstandings they may have. Uh, so then we can transfer that knowledge into English or whatever language and that that is uh, whatever the language of instruction is. So again, um, we've got to keep all these things in mind uh, to include the first language in, in our teaching. Excellent. Thanks, Francois. Any other any other final points on, on practical tips for uh, encouraging first language use? Yeah, one practical tip or idea, I guess, that I've had success with is building in services action opportunities into the unit and lesson planning around uh, first language. We have just a handful of, of Mandarin speakers at our school, but last year had a really um, successful uh, lesson in which the those Mandarin speakers visited other classrooms and and taught students how to write their names in Chinese characters and just share their their home language in a way that um, isn't often allowing them this chance of of leadership and and showing a sense of of community and belonging at the school. That's really cool. I love that. Yes, Hermione. Yeah. I'm so sorry, I have to jump off because I have a class right now. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. Great having the call, Thank Manny. you so much. Thank you so much. This was incredible. Right, great. Any other final thoughts on that before we move on to, on to the penultimate question? Just a bit similar to something Hermani mentioned earlier about when she was translating, you know, the word culture into other languages. Sometimes if I had a, you know, a class with lots of different home languages in, if we'd been reading a story or, or something that's about emotions or feelings, if there was a word in their language that better described the word than the word in English, then we'd often, I'd often, often ask them to kind of share that with the class and explain the meaning. And sometimes we'd build up like a bank of different words that then we could put in kind of like a class kind of resource and things that we wanted to use not just feelings but lots of other things and um, there's some words I still I haven't lived in China since for 12 years but there's still some Shanghainese words that I love <laughs> to use because we don't have an equivalent in English um so I think that's just again it's just understood it helps that understanding culture and you know I think it makes people feel valued that they're sharing something of their language as well 
That's such a great point. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I suppose because we there's so many loan loan words, aren't there, in English and other languages that, that we sort of borrow all the time in real life. So why shouldn't that be the same in the classroom, right? And um, like you said, some words do just, yeah, uh, they capture an essence that the, the maybe another language can't. So it's, um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, really, really cool. Great stuff. All right. Any other final thoughts before we move on? Okay, great. So the next question, how important is diversity of language text uh, when it comes to teaching English language and literature um, in an international school setting? Um, who'd like to who'd like to go first on that? Uh, I'll jump in first, and then and then I'm also going to have to to head out. I have a, a commute to to school this morning. Um, but yeah, I so so for me this is super important, right? In my English language and literature classes, both in the DP and the MYP, um, I think we know that the the demographics of international schools have changed over the past 30 years. My school where I teach at 70% local students, Costa Rican students, 30% international. And still oftentimes that local culture isn't reflected, especially in the English language and literature curriculum. It can be tricky in a non-English speaking country. So, you know, the historically the ways we do that is we find a Costa Rican writer and we look at a work in translation Right? or we'll read um, something and then we'll take concepts and we'll contextualize them to the local, to the local context. Um, one of the practices that I've really enjoyed doing is finding um, Costa Rican writers who are writing in English here in Costa Rica and um, looking at what they're writing and why they're writing in English. And the one that's most interesting for, for me and I think for my students is to look at songwriters and to look at music. Um, and so I'll play a song uh, in English for the students. We'll play the guessing game. Where's this band from? Eventually they'll, they'll guess Costa Rica. And then we, first of all, we start sharing music, Costa Rican bands that are, that are singing in, in English but then we start looking at the lyrics. How is culture reflected? Oftentimes we'll see this in, in reggae music in the country, for example. And so we'll look at the Caribbean coast of Costa Rica and the influence of Jamaican migrant workers working on the railroads um, and the language and culture that was brought to Costa Rica then and that sort of um, blending of cultures that still exists. But then we'll also ask the big question of, of why choose to write a song in English, right? Why, why does English sell? What's the power of, of language? What sorts of sorts of, of power does do, do various languages hold? And then we start questioning ourselves, why are you learning English? What's the goal here? Why are you in this school as opposed to another school locally? So I think there's, there's really some interesting works to be studied. Um, but also, more importantly, I think interesting conversations around identity development and and um, and language and power and uh, yeah, we've had some real real success with that. So I find that as a as a way that's that's fun and empowering to incorporate local local voices into the curriculum. And I think it's really important because, you know, there's talk of this idea of, of fourth culture kids, right? Local students who are attending an international school, right? they're from the country in which the school is based, but they're not getting any local history or that local culture isn't reflected in their schools. So any way that, that we can do that in the English language classroom in non-English uh, speaking countries, I think is, is a worthwhile 
endeavor. Um, I'm going to have to run. I'm going to commute to school. So um, thank you very much for the, the conversation this morning. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. Can I pick up on what yeah. Adam was saying? Yeah. So I, I think he's, he's given a great um, practical example of what, what I was going to, the point I was going to make. So that's really helpful. Like, I think, um, yeah, representation is very important. I think we don't want our students just to, you know, all their texts are providing the windows to other worlds, but not not mirrors to reflect themselves back. Um, so representation is absolutely necessary, but I don't think it's sufficient on its own. Um, and that's, I think, the point that Adam's example was making, that we, we want our students to be reading texts that they can engage with in critical ways and that, to develop their critical literacy, but also to reflect in a self-critical way on their own experiences and to think and reflect on their own experiences and identities. So that might mean in many schools, texts in which the, the writers or the main characters have, have hybrid identities or have migrated from one place to another place, are experiencing discrimination. These kind of things allow our students to better understand the experiences that they're going through themselves in terms of their own cultural identity, their own like personal development and identity formation. So I think that's the representation in within the literature in the classroom is the first step, but we need to take it further than that uh, to develop that kind of critical literacy and allow the students to have that space to and develop the language with which they can reflect on their own um, experiences and identities. Fantastic, thanks Jacob. Any other final thoughts? Just again, from my an ELT perspective, with this, with English language learners who are, they're often given course books that are about like cheese rolling in Somerset or something like that, you know. And sometimes the um, it's just knowing as well what's going to be useful and practical for your students as well, what they they need to know because that's going to help with the engagement as well. I think like um, as kind of like J Jacob uh, was saying there, I think that. Yes, you need to know about the learn about the world and other you know other things, but you also need to learn how to communicate in English as the first priority sometimes as well. And it, some of the books kind of kind of can lose sight of this. So I think sometimes being you know mindful of your choices and materials um, as well, um, I think is really important. Um, and also if you're using like bilingual bilingual texts as well, ones that kind of put equal weighting on both languages um from kind of publishing perspective is something that we try to do because that, otherwise there is that othering you know that this is the most important language and this is the kind of one just to kind of help you having true kind of bilingualism as we've been talking about earlier as well fantastic yeah absolutely and also like let's remember to honor the diversity within the languages as well in terms of the different forms of language different varieties so for me, as, a, as an English language acquisition teacher, I want my students to become familiar with global Englishes, not just um, American English, British English, etc. I want them to experience different forms of English and also um, legitimize like Korean English as a form of English or Chinese English as a form of English, um, English as an Asian language, as a lingua franca, um, these kind of ideas are very important for us to engage with um, so the diversity within our languages as well. 
I just wanted to touch on one, one word that, that Sarah used, uh, engagement, I think is key. Um, if, uh, and another word that I want to bring up is empathy. Uh, if we bring in um, different cultural backgrounds and different texts from different uh, uh, backgrounds and cultures, then, then I think it would be an, uh, our students would be open-minded. It would be open the minds of our students to not just the traditional texts, but others that could be undiscovered if they didn't have the opportunity to use and study those texts in school. Yeah. Do each of you, um, uh, Jacob Francois, do you find that some of the textbooks that you're currently using in school are quite um, weighted towards a particular, what, just, just in English and maybe doesn't integrate other languages uh, as much as, as they should? Do you find that's a common, a common issue with um, resources? in the classrooms? Yeah, and that's uh, why I would prefer to, you know, empower, you know, ask the students to bring their own resources, find resources that are, you know, interesting to students um, that are related, relevant to their life experiences. Um, every class is so unique that um, if you're using a textbook, that's of course never going to be enough that we would need to supplement that with, with um, texts and materials that are specific to our our context and our students' uh, needs. Yeah. Uh, that, that's interesting. It's in, in the world language class that I teach, uh, we, we use, as I said, stories, and those are adapted stories. Uh, either they are simplified uh, and they are from famous authors, or they are simplified stories that people, you know, um, new authors have written, and we use those. Uh, and those stories touch on on uh, different issues that 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 concern the students and they are adapted for the level for the age uh, and the, the 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 age and the maturity level of the students that we teach so so um, you know uh, it can vary as from you know uh, something like when for my younger learners we they're interested in their pets and their uh, and their hobbies uh, or it can be something more more complex like identity and diversity and in equity if you teach you know, high school students those stories are adapted and they include those those topics that uh, interest students that are of concern to students so that's also something that that can be included wonderful thanks Francois. all right fantastic um now moving on to the last the last point um for us to discuss um if there's any further support or provisions um that could be introduced for multilingual students um, in an international school setting, is there any any final any final thoughts on that? What further? How further we should be going um, to providing support for multilingual learners in a practical sense? Any thoughts? So our, I can say yep. two things. The first one is very brief. I think, like my advice or suggestion, um, teachers should try to learn some of the languages of their students. Um, this is a great way to develop empathy, build a relationship with the students, even just a few words or a few greetings in the students' languages can make a huge difference. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think is about student voice and a number of people have mentioned it earlier about surveys and, and these kind of things of, of our students, but building that student voice and student agency is of the multilingual learners, listening to their experiences centering their voices um having things like uh we we have 
uh, developed a language and culture committee and we have student leaders of that to to look at these kind of issues and and give them a voice um, developing leadership opportunities for students um, who may be underrepresented for example often students who are less proficient in English at the moment don't have the chance to go for leadership opportunities within schools because they're required to stand on stage and deliver speeches in English well how can we find other opportunities to to give those students leadership roles within the school to build that student agency and empower the the language learners in our school so that's um that's what I think is really important find ways of building student voice and agency for the um, EAL students or the multilingual learners Well, uh, just one way that I was thinking of is, and then we heard it, I think, from Jacob earlier about pairing students. So pairing students, native speakers with non-native speakers of English, especially because most of international schools are use English as a medium of instruction. And so that, that creates, well, um, an obstacle to other students who, whose level of English may not be as proficient. So whenever there are activities uh, learning experiences in the classroom that may require more language, pairing students and building that empathy um, among students, especially the native speakers and vice versa, uh, and uh, getting that, that those students to learn how to collaborate and work together. I think uh, those skills are not only important in the school context, they're important for life. Uh, so the life skills that we need to build in our students. Um, and that's one way that I think we could support um, our multilingual students in our schools. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say that sometimes I would allow a bit of time as well if there were some important notices at the end of a class, just sometimes to allow them to kind of translate into their home language the message, because they're often, it can often be the case that maybe they are the kind of most proficient English speaker in their, their family. And they have that kind of important role in their family to be that translator and that link between the school and, and their parents as well. So I think sometimes just allowing that little bit of time to make sure they've got down all the information that they need. Um, because, you know, kids can forget things as well, or if they need to record it on their phone or something like that to, to just allow them to do that as well, I think can help. Wonderful, great stuff. Any, any final thoughts on that? Um, because uh, I think, yeah, we are pretty much time up. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe one, maybe one, yeah. just one, Max. Uh, I think following on from what Sarah has just said, providing instructions in writing is mm. very important as well. Some students are more visual, they, 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 they need that support. And, and I know that I do. <laughs> I need to see things in writing for sometimes to understand what I hear. Uh, and uh, because I'm a non-native speaker myself. So uh, I think it's a good way to support our students as well, just providing that. And it's easy now, uh, you know, information can be shared online. Uh, students may be absent uh, and that can be shared with them uh, on, the, on the learning management system, uh, which is easily, which can be easily built, uh, you know, within the school uh, learning management system and the students have access to that as well. Excellent. All right, fantastic stuff. Thank you so much, guys. Um, just sort of looking, uh, looking forward. Um, 
I think the whole conversation around learning the language of the home country uh, of, of the school and where, where the school is located is, is a fascinating topic. So I think it's probably what we'll look into maybe in a, in a part two. Um, but yeah, for, for today, that's that's it. And um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Thank you so much for sharing your, your insights and, and obviously to Himani and Adam as well. Um, and yeah, great stuff. Thank you so much, guys, for your time.